The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Watchmen on the Wall is the series. Watchmen are those that God has in His grace and mercy appointed for prayer. And we uh, carry on, of course, the work of the watchmen as we uh, raise our hand and join with God and His people in prayer. Today we're going to talk about the watchman's need. Everything the service has pointed us to, uh, especially the last song, that all of this is rooted in and hoped for in our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. I'm going to read the text, which is the first five verses of Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence when you did awesome things which we did not expect. You came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. For from days of old, they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, for we sinned. We continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved? It's the word of the Lord, and it is for our good. Now, Father, I pray that The words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And I pray that your Spirit, who indwells uh, your church through your people, would be uh, animating faith and hope and excitement and intentional action for prayer, for your glory, for our joy, and for the rescue, the rescue of the communities in which we live. Let our heart beat, O Lord, as the great missionary said, some want to live within the sound of church and village bell. I want to run a rescue shop a yard short of hell. May our hearts beat, O Lord, and our lips speak forth prayers for people who are just a yard short of 
passing from this life into the next without Jesus Christ. Our hope is in you. We pray in your blessed name. Amen. Now we have in front of us a text that is full. It's filled with oceans of good news. And those oceans and good news are intended then to instill great confidence in those who, within their heart or maybe with their hand, responded to God's appointment as watchmen on the wall. The text begins with a blunt request. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil. I want to challenge us with this prayer because bluntness is often a missing ingredient in our prayers. We tend to hedge a bit, don't we? We tend to beat around the bush with God. But Isaiah is asking God to do something now. And he is stating it rather bluntly. When it comes to working out a God-given feeling of holy discontentment, which is what Isaiah is doing, he feels a holy discontentment for the people of Israel... When you want to work that out, bluntness is better. Now, bluntness doesn't have to be rude. I'm not saying you're rude towards God. I'm not saying that you are disrespectful towards God. But you are feeling deeply within you a need that comes out then in just straightforward speech. There was a bluntness to it. And what I've done with this sermon is I've arranged it within two points about how to lean into bluntness in prayer. And then we'll close with the question Isaiah asked in the final part of verse number five. And shall we be saved? Shall we be saved? The first point in prayer then is that we need to learn to follow Isaiah's lead and use the natural world, the created world, the world God made, to help us pray. To help us pray. Isaiah's blunt request for God to act flows from imagining what it might be like if God did burst through the sky. You ever done that? You ever looked up the sky and thought to yourself, well, what would it actually be like if God burst through the sky? Well, I'm like, look it up there. What would that be like? And Isaiah's working this out. If God burst through the sky, if God touched the mountains, what would happen if God built a fire out of the dry kindling? And what would happen if God boiled some water? And I, I would... I would suggest that, like Isaiah, we too can imagine these things. We can imagine what it might be like if the welkin shattered, to borrow Sammy Nye's phrase from her wonderful poem on the front of your bulletin that if you have yet to read, you should wait till after the sermon to read it. And that word welkin, that old English word with 
uh, you know, the firmament, the sky above, what would it be like if it shattered? We live in a, in a fairly hilly area. What would it be like if the hills, touched by the right hand and strong arm of God, began to smoke and quake at his presence? What it would it be like uh, when you go out and, and hopefully, you know, this week maybe even, because it's really like early spring, praise the Lord, and you started picking up all of the sticks in your yard that have come down from the trees over the winter and you build a little fire. What would it, what would it be like to pick up those dry twigs and kindle a fire? And as you do that, to remember to pray and say, God, would you... Would you build a fire in me? Would you build a fire in our church? Would you light a fire in our communities? And then as that fire grows, to imagine in your mind that God taking a big pot of water and sticking it on there until it boils over. What would it be like if in our prayers we imagined these things, that God would work in, a, in such a way, and these metaphors then help us carry prayer out of the world in which we've made, which is what Isaiah is doing as he forms this rather blunt prayer for God to act now so that God would make his name great to the nations so that the nations would tremble. Train yourself. Think about retraining yourself in prayer that as you drive or you walk or you're going about your business that you're not disconnected from the natural world but that you look at, at it as a connecting point for what God is doing. As one poet, not Sammy Knight, but as one poet said, earth is crammed with heaven. Earth is crammed with heaven. And we should train ourselves in our prayers to not just like, don't notice it. Now, we're not talking about pantheism, a worship of nature as the highest form of revelation, because God is the one who created. So we're not talking about pantheism, but we're talking about looking at the natural world and praying with these images in our mind and thinking what God might do if he did those things, rooted then in what we know from the Holy Scriptures, which is exactly what Isaiah is doing. He's not just kind of looking up, imagining willy-nilly. He's not like praying out of a, you know, a vacuum. No, he's praying in form then with what he knows about God, what God has done, which he has written about throughout his prophecy. And this takes us then to the second point about praying blunt prayers, which I hope you'll take seriously, by the way. Let me be blunt. Take it seriously, you know? Don't just let this go over the top of your head. The second bit's a bit, you know, it's harder for the reader to understand because it takes a little bit of time and study, tools that are needed. So it's not enough just to look at nature, but you have to dig into God's word to connect the natural word then to the written word for the heavens declare the glory of God but then God's word is like that silver and gold, right? Isaiah 9, or Psalm 19 talks about. And so as Isaiah looks at the heavens and he looks at the mountains, he thinks about God fanning a flame of fire, making a, a water 
pot hot enough to boil, he's applying it then. And this is what's a little challenging about the text is that Isaiah's application is actually three things at one time. As he thinks about the past, and he thinks about the present, and he thinks about the future. And this is a wonderful way to pray. Um, As we kind of grab a hold of this, Isaiah is saying, well, God, if you had touched the mountains, if you had built the fire, if you had caused the water to boil, then your people would not be heading off into captivity. Now, now Isaiah's not blaming God. He's, he's recognizing God's providence and God's sovereignty and saying that God was willing to leave his people in their sins for a purpose that Isaiah at that moment could not discern or understand. But Isaiah understands this. God, if you had worked in the recent past, we would not be moving into captivity, right? I mean, we can say that about our own communities. We can say that about our nation. Oh, God, if you had prevented materialism and consumerism from grabbing a hold of people's hearts and driving them out of the church to all of the entertainments that are now at their fingertips on a Sunday, which previously were not there when blue laws were in effect and People cared about the Lord's day. God, if you had prevented that, then we would not maybe be in the shape we're in. But for purposes that we cannot fully see and understand, God did not prevent that. And our communities and our nation drifted and continues to drift far away. But the verse is not without hope because Isaiah also knows that at the moment he's writing this, if God would burst through the clouds, if God would touch the mountains so that they smoke, then the people would be kept from going into captivity, that God could turn their hearts back to him. And I mean, we would say the same things, right? We'd say, well, God, you could have done it the past, you didn't. But God, if you did it today, then people's hearts would turn. People's hearts would be changed. If you, oh God, would burst forth in our congregation, if you would burst forth in our communities, then the situation would be turned around. So Isaiah's hope isn't diminished as he looks back at what he wished God would have done. He believes there is still time presently to rescue, but but those verses also mean That if God doesn't break through the clouds today, Isaiah says, you know what? I believe that you will in the future. That if you don't do it today, my hope is not lost. That you are the God, right? We kind of sang that from the first hymn. Oh God, right? Our help in ages past, our what? Hope for years to come. That him is rooted in in an understanding of what Isaiah is saying as he prays this blunt prayer. He knows that future rescue would still be possible. And the critical point then that Isaiah makes for those who want to take up prayer, and especially blunt prayers, 
this critical point, and we often miss it, is that hope in prayer means that we have to rest on the God who acts on behalf of those who wait. And that's a really hard thing. But this is what Isaiah says, right, in uh, verse number 4. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who what? Waits. The one who waits for him. And, and that word wait is a, is a rich word. It, it means someone who has habitually trained themselves to exercise patience. Someone who, as they have habitually trained themselves to exercise patience, they have a confidence. And then that confidence, <coughs> excuse me, then results in great expectations about what God can and will do if God chooses to. Waiting here is a, is a key. And, and we, we know, right, we know from other parts of Isaiah that when we train ourselves to wait for the God who has worked in the past, who is working in the present, who will work in the future, that we are following Isaiah's lead because he has painstakingly made the point that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is unlike any other God, a God who acts on behalf of his people. Now, now, as I said, Isaiah is full of this, but let me just take you to one spot. Chapter number 40, it's the familiar one, and that's okay. That's why I wanted to get here to it, because of its familiarity. But look at Isaiah chapter 40, and think about this word wait as habitually exercising a patient, confident, and expectant faith because you believe in the God who is unlike any other God. Chapter 40, verse 18, Isaiah raises the question. It's a question we have to constantly ask and wrestle with. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? Well, here's an option, an idol. An idol that a craftsman casts. It's a good-looking idol. Gold, plated with gold, and the silversmith fashions chains of silver. You say, well, I can't afford silver and gold gods. So then you get a tree and you cut it down and you find a craftsman then to make, you know, this, this idol so that the idol doesn't, doesn't fall over. Isaiah says, so you got a God, right, who cannot be compared. And yet you have the world making stuff that they say, well, there's my God, right? And that's the one I'll worship. And then we say to ourselves, well, which God should we, you know, which God should we believe in? And then you read in verse number 28, do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? No problem with tottering over with this God. Why? He never grows weary. He never grows tired. His understanding is inscrutable. But he's not some far off distant deity. He actually is giving strength to people who are weary. 
And to those that lack power, he is increasing power. And even the youths that grow weary and tired and vigorous young men that stumble badly, yet those who what? Wait. Those who wait. Those who have trained themselves habitually to exercise patience and confidence and an expectation of faith. Those who wait for the Lord, what are they going to gain? New strength. What are they going to be able to do? They're going to be able to mount up with wings like eagles. They're going to be able to run. I, or some of you, I wouldn't recommend it. You can give it a whirl if you want. Just be in a place where there's, you can't hurt yourself when you fall down. But, you know, they're going to run, and, and, and then we all can walk and not be weary. This is what is promised to those who are willing to wait on the Lord as they pray their prayers knowing that God has acted in the past, knowing that if God moved today, everything could change. But if at the end of the day he doesn't, that there's still hope for the future. Because God, back to 64, verse 4, acts on behalf of the ones who wait for him. Now, now I decided to use the particular passage, uh, chapter 40, because of that, that importance of learning to wait on the Lord. And it's interesting, in the King James Version, the word for, F-O-R, is rendered upon. Here in the New American Standard, it's, it's rendered for. Both words mean the same thing. And what they mean, and this is really important, and why that word is important, is that the waiting is focused on the subject, the person you're waiting for. You're waiting for the Lord. You're waiting upon the Lord. This is, this is not just some idle waiting, you know, uh, you know twiddling your thumbs. This, this isn't you scrolling through social media, you know, waiting for Grubhub to, you know, deliver your Taco Bell. And you're just kind of idly waiting. Isaiah is saying, this is people, my people, they have in their mind a purpose in waiting they're confident they're filled with expectation because of the one they're waiting for I mean, that's a really rich truth for prayer and you wouldn't naturally get that right from the created world but you get that when you dig into the scriptures and you pull out the meaning of a text and then you bring the two together and you say well well, well what are we waiting for we're waiting for the rain to, you know, flow into the ground and the warm weather to come and the grass to begin to turn green and the flowers to begin to bloom and the trees begin to bud and we're waiting for this spring. We're waiting for this renewal. Just like we are waiting for God to bring an eternal spring, a renewal in our lives, right, in our communities and by God's grace to this world if you were going to pray this way, then your waiting has to be focused on the subject, the one you're waiting for, the one we are told who acts on behalf of the one, ones who are waiting. What a thing Isaiah has done for us. And Isaiah says, you know, if we wait for him, he will rend the heavens. He will touch the mountains. The nations will tremble. That this God of power 
will show his people things that their eyes have not been able to perceive. He will tell them things that their ears have not yet heard. So when it comes to praying blunt prayers, root them in a proper understanding of who God is and for those willing to pray blunt prayers, you better also grapple with your own need. So this isn't a demanding thing. This isn't bringing God before our judgment. No, this is saying, you know what? My need is great. My need is great. And so we are frank with God about our own condition. This is what Isaiah does in chapter number 6. Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then you note again in verse number 5, this this kind of blunt language when Isaiah says, you know, the God uh, who acts is also the God who meets those who rejoice in doing what is right And he's the God who remembers us in our way, but he's also the God who was angry at sin. And then Isaiah says this about his people, which I believe true about myself, true about us, true about our world, sins that we have continued in a long, we've continued in them for a long time. Can people who have continued in sins for a long time, pray blunt prayers? Well, there's only one answer to that, and that is yes, if they can, you know, answer correctly the question at the end of verse number five, and shall we be saved? And shall we be saved? A surprising takeaway from this lesson on prayer might be that those who pray blunt prayers will have to grapple with the consequences of their sin or the sins of others who have, like Israel, continued in sin for a really long time. And we have to ask, shall we be saved? Shall our nation, shall the American people so the hamlet of Durkee Town, the village of Fort Edward. Shall we be saved? So what do you think? Can we? Can, can, can we be saved? Can we be saved even though we've broken all of the commandments that we read earlier from the Decalogue? Can, can we be saved? I mean, how do you, how do you answer that question? When you think about the, the tree in the back with those little gospel bracelets, and you think about writing somebody's name on a piece of paper and putting it in that basket and saying, Pastor, pray for those people, do you think they can be saved? Do you think that they would maybe come on Easter Sunday if you invited them, if God so worked? And how do we answer this question? Well, the answer the Bible gives, which is the answer we need, is a resounding yes. Yes, 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 yes. Israel can be saved, right? People can be saved. You can be saved. I can be saved. 
Yes. And the hope for salvation then, then is expressed within verse number four's understanding that from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God beside you, because the only reason we can be saved is what? It is God who acts. It is God who takes the action. Now, verse number four of Isaiah 64 may sound familiar to you, and it should if you've read the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to leave Isaiah for the rest of the sermon, and I want you to go to 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to just look at how Paul frames Isaiah within this larger question. So 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, and we want to see the way Paul uses what Isaiah wrote in his prophecy because we want to find the answer to the question, and shall we be saved? When Paul quotes Isaiah, it is within the context of helping Corinthian Christians to be firm in their understanding that saving faith does not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. We hinted at that in the reading that um, uh, Dave gave us from uh, chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. But here's what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 5. He wants their faith not to rest on the wisdom of man, but on what? The power of God, right? Which is, which is what Isaiah's talking about when he looks at the heavens and says, God, rend the heavens. He looks at the mountains and he says, touch the mountains, they'll smoke. He looks at the dry twigs, build a fire, boil some water. God, your power here is needed And we can be confident as we wait that God will bring power into the situation. And our faith then must not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And if you were to read all of 1 Corinthians 1 and all of 1 Corinthians 2 and the whole Bible, in fact, what you would be led to believe and see is that God's power was shown to be overwhelmingly victorious when Christ came down when the heavens, as it were, were parted, when they were torn asunder. The power of God was seen in the darkest day when the brutal, God-forsaken death of his son Jesus by crucifixion, that through that saving act, the power of God, God touched the mountain of redemption and the mountain brought forth and quaked forth with salvation that then went to all of the world. The Bible does not leave Isaiah's question unanswered. And shall we be saved? Yes. How? Because of what the power of God has done. And Paul says then in verse number 9 of chapter 2, right? But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, for to us... God revealed them through his spirit. Right now, I, I pray in my own spirit that God will be revealing in your heart great hope and trust in Jesus, the one who is God's power for salvation. And whatever your need may be, whatever your concern may be, whatever prayer that you're making, that you would test the waters of blunt praying and not hedge, not beat around the bush with God, but in a worshipful heart with a 
faith-filled heart, you would pray those prayers confident that God, through his spirit, is going to act to reveal to you that which you have not previously seen. Hope that you previously did not hear. Confidence in your heart that you previously have not known. All the things that God has prepared for those who love him. For those who love him. The power of God testified to be true by the church. The church proclaims then through the death of Jesus by crucifixion. And through the subsequent resurrection of Jesus three days later from the grave. We see the power of God. We see the God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And in this way then Isaiah's prayer is answered. The God who worked in the past is the God who works at present. Is the God who works in the future. And we enter into that same prayer. By saying, God, you, you acted. You can, if you will today, oh God, act. But with firm confidence, we believe you will act eternally through Jesus Christ. What blunt prayers do we need to pray, Durkee Town Baptist Church? One I've been praying is do it again, Lord. Do it again. Bring a spirit of renewal. Bring a spirit of revival. Bring a, bring a season of growth. Bring a season in which people seek after God. Do it again, Lord. What about you? As I wrote my names on the yellow piece of paper down at St. James and stuck it in the basket down there, I'll ask you, are you going to take some gospel bracelets? Are you going to write some names and put it in the basket with the intention that of inviting people to church? Will you pray blunt prayers to God and say, God, I'm going to ask these people. I don't really think they're going to come, but Lord, would you work? Would you work? But I'm going to ask and say, Lord, would you, would you be at work? Let us not fear to pray with the same kind of bluntness that Isaiah prayed with. And as we do, may we be confident that God will act on behalf of those who wait for him. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for the great privilege it has been to preach this sermon twice now this morning for your people at St. James and your people at Durkeetown. And oh Lord, would your spirit make it clear would your spirit be at work to stir up, to stir up, oh God, a renewed season and burden for prayer. So that we watchmen on the wall speak boldly before the throne of grace, believing that you will find grace and mercy to bring to us in time of need give you an opportunity to be quiet before the Lord and think about what's been said as uh, we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. 
You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.